My name is Dimitri, and I'm a productivity and minimalism enthusiast. I'm Chance. I'm a philosophy and ethics enthusiast. And you're listening to the Rise Productive Podcast. The show where productivity meets philosophy. And what it means to build a better life. Enjoy the show. Yeah, you know, you actually did a really good job last time when you were editing the audio. I'm not going to lie. It was a sight to behold. Thank you. I, I really appreciate that one. You know, I, I was worried as I, as I told you, the, uh, the volume on my audacity just like automatically jumps down. And I was like, are they going to think I'm whispering? Yeah. That, I, I didn't know why I just whispered, but I, I was afraid my volume was going to be too low. So I was super stressed and didn't think I'd do a good job, but I, I, I'm glad that boss man thinks it's good. Thank you. You know, like the first time I had you do it, I was just thinking to myself, Hey, uh, I, I want to hear this for, for what it is. And I'm trying to be objective, but I was so in my head about like, is this going to sound worse, whatever. And then I had this epiphany that one, no, like I gave him the process. It's going to sound fine. And two, how many times in old episodes of the daily stoic did Ryan holiday literally just record a zoom meeting audio? And I'm like all of them. So I'm really not that upset if it goes bad (laughs) at all. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Rise Productive Podcast. In this episode, we are going to talk about the hedonic treadmill. But before we do that, we're talking about uh, Dimitri offloading his task to me. He's channeling his inner (laughs) Tim Ferriss four-hour work week here, trying to tell himself that someone else can do the job just as well as him, which is absolutely true. It is true. I mean, like, that's the only way I'm going to get any of this stuff done. I can't think I'm the best at everything all the time. I mean, just look at me. I'm, I'm, I mean, I, I know one thing everyone can do better than me and it's have a normal size nose. Ha <laughs> ha. Self-deprecating humor. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> I'm, I was trying to do that thing where like we casually talk at the beginning of the podcast. I feel like I'm uh, Joe Rogan or something. No, I like it. We're going to, we're going to keep doing that and uh, we're not going to talk about it ever again. We're making a blood pack right now. <laughs> it makes it a little bit more, uh, more normal uh but you know how have you been how have you been feeling how's uh how's the old being back at home well you know chicago we, we yeah it's been good i will say chicago is home i've been enjoying it oh. i'm getting back into the swing of things had the first day of classes today i'm only in six credits so it's really like syllabus week is really just how the whole semester is going to feel which is kind of uh unreal to think about but it was good. I had one class today and um, just got a lot of things done for RP and uh, for running as well. Just like some personal tasks. So it's a good day. It's been a good week. I am excited to, uh, like I say, excited to be back. Excited to get back into the swing of things and get into uh, a good track season. How are you doing, Dimitri? Hold on me. I forgot <laughs> you're only in six credits. Oh, I am. It It's the senior season. There's nothing oh to do. Dude, I forget just that you're at that point in your life where you're at that senior getting ready for the end. Dude, this is, oh my God. As, as me in the position I'm in, I am so hype right now. Like, <laughs> I remember what having three credits meant for that first like month. Literally having three credits before I ended up having nine for the rest of the semester when I started my master's, that is how I wrote 10 steps to saving time and doing more in two weeks. Oh, exactly. And I have two friends who are, uh, you probably know, they're they're in the business school. They're in three credits right now waiting on uh, the grad classes to start. And the three of us are going to be hanging out and it's going to be really sad when they start classes and then I realize, as a philosophy major, there's no grad class that you can just like go into. So uh-huh. we're still waiting on the law school application, and if not, we're going to uh, pursue that master's in public policy. But um, yeah, I mean, there, there, there's nothing else to do with my time, so I don't feel bad about being at six credits. I'm just kind of here, and like like you said, I'm, I'm going to do a lot with that free time. I don't know if I'll write a book, but I'll do something. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you. This this makes me feel so much less guilty about asking you to do more more RP stuff. This, oh yeah, you shouldn't feel guilty. In, I have so much time. This puts me in a, such a different frame of mind. And then when I pay you, it'll be like, all right. So basically, this is just him doing his part time job. So I I will not feel bad whatsoever 
at all. <laughs> this is great. You're only at six credits. I totally forgot that. I mean, I don't know how this didn't click for me. This is awesome for you. And this is great. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm very excited. It's a, it's a great few months. Good opportunity to grow the, the, the whole channel, the whole Rise Productive. So that's kind of one of the, the main um, priorities or goals that I kind of set out for these next few months. So I'm excited. It'll be fun. I, I hope that it's not uh, me just sitting on my, on my butt on the couch because that's not what I want it to be. That wouldn't be fulfilling. No, it wouldn't. That's, that's not what we're going to do. So I guess for me, I mean, I'm feeling, I'm pretty, pretty, uh, I'm feeling pretty good, uh, after hearing that, but like on my end in life, uh, life's fine. Works fine. I had a little chat with you last time on Saturday. So we're chatting again. We gotta, we gotta get hang out, getting hanging out to hang out some point here soon when, uh, Mm -hmm. when you don't have a meet weekend, we'll, we'll, we'll iron the things out, get up to shy town shy city where all my all my friends from college are still and i'm in the burbs so you know i'm still alone here but uh no like it'll it'll be good uh i'm good with with how things are going i've had like it just my head spinning i think i'm i think i uh reached max capacity deep work like action not even just deep work like i think i hit max brain capacity today and it, it just hurts. Yeah, you were kind of telling me about that. For uh, those who don't know, Dimitri is just making the uh, a big brain template. I don't know if he wants to reveal more, but um, yeah, I told him that when his brain's hurting, that's just what philosophy's like. That's just how every paper I write. Anytime I study with anyone, and we're doing, and I'm working on a philosophy paper, I just stare off into the distance, and they're like, "What are you doing?" I'm like, "I'm thinking." <laughs> I love it. I made the TB something method uh, in a video a while back. So it's it's predicated off of this task management system that I implemented in my own life a couple of years ago. But I'm making this mm-hmm. like weird mega ultra relation, half para system, half my system, half a new concept I made up. And I'm just like, my brain hurts from, but I finally got things ironed out. It's just literally like making the template now, branding it and um, a lot of really cool stuff. If you guys are into Notion, there's been a, a lot of like rebranding on the Rise Productive website. We are still going to be like that intentionalism sort of style of content. However, regarding um, there's going to be like some services that we're not providing. So I just want to want to be clear to those who listen to us that this podcast will be uh, it, it Notion agnostic. What the what the hell am I? What am I trying to say? Uh, n- not Notion centric. What am I saying? Yeah, Notion agnostic is a good way to put it. It's, uh, we're not dedicated to just Notion. We're talking all things. Where productivity meets philosophy. Uh, the intro still works. I love it. <laughs> no, but it's it's going to be... The YouTube channel may have this centric towards... I know that I have a, a certain set of things that I can help people with. And we're actually going to talk about that all in this episode. About the importance of trying to impact people with what value you can provide them. And I think regarding this podcast and the productive brew and the blog and a lot of the ways that we can drive traffic to this this brand will be through the the intentionalism sort of uh, living a better building a better life, which has been my slogan for through two years at this point since I wrote ten steps to saving time and doing more. Um, I want that to be the case. However, I am one hundred percent transparent in the fact that Notion and time management is like my way of helping people probably do that the best so i don't want to not provide that but at the same time i want to talk about cool stuff with my buddy so we're here talking about how i am dying on the inside by looking at analytics and uh <laughs> that's kind of the topic of this episode and with that we're going to get into the enthusiast quote of the week we got a quote here quote success is not measured in the amount of dollars you make by the amount but the amount of lives you impact. There's no credit to who said this, but um, a very wise adage really um, does hit on the topic today and why Dimitri feels down the inside. is it, It's because we focus on the wrong things. We focus on vanity metrics. We focus on dollar signs rather than um, the, the art for the art's sake. Yeah, like here's here's an example, and this is what got me inspired to talk about this. And I have a couple points I want to make too at the start, just to to get get this nice train of thought going. So first of all, we are reading a book called "Think Like a Monk" by Jay Shetty. Gonna come up with an episode with that shortly. 
Uh, and he in the book talks about the importance of doing things for for your values and not doing it for like external factors like money, fame. You don't want to do it for very shallow uh, pillars of your life. You know, you don't want to you want to do it for reasons that are outside you. You want to do it for 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 the right reasons. I'm not gonna get into the specifics of of what he means by the different values in his life. He has a whole breakdown of that in his book. We'll get into that mm-hmm. when we when we uh, do the review. But essentially, I was getting to the point where I was I was realizing when I was making videos, at times I was feeling that I was doing it for the metrics in some ways, and I wanted to grow the thing and I want to impact as many people as possible. And that's always been my main shtick. I want to impact people. And I started doing these free coaching calls, and I was like, I'm really feeling an impact with people. But then when I put a video out, like the, the for me, the number one indicator of productivity was the, the most effort I had put into a video in a long time. And I thought it was the best video I had made like in, in a long time. And the metric said, no, a video about you duplicating a Notion page uh, was <laughs> was 10 times more valuable. And I'm like, YouTube, you can go F yourself. Like, that's ridiculous. What the hell? Are you, what are you talking about? Like, of course, one's better. And then it just got me into back of this Jay Shetty book of like, you got to do things for the right reasons. And when I was talking with people one on one and when I talked with people, I remember one of the calls I had they showed me that I had given them a template and they used it for a week and they they kept up with every habit they wanted to track for a week and I smiled cheek to cheek I was like for free I provided value to somebody and yeah it impacted me regarding a little bit of money from whatever ad money they gave me you know on YouTube it's very small for one video view but you get my point like I was like I provided value to somebody and they successfully did what they wanted to for a week. That's like the whole vision of what Rise Productive can mean, whether that be for a business or an individual. And then the other day, uh, I texted Chance this and uh, somebody bought my Notion workspace, like my personal one uh, from my gum, from the Gumroad on our website. And um, I freaked out. It was in my car on the way back from watching the uh, <laughs> the Buccaneers-Eagles uh, game on uh, Sunday with some buddies. And uh, I was just freaking out. I was like, somebody actually bought this? Somebody actually bought this? But immediately where my mind went, which made me know that I was doing it for the right reason, my mind didn't go to the money. My mind thought, did I give them enough value for that price? Are they happy with it? And I was like, yep, this is why I'm doing it. Because I want to give them the right, I want to, you know, I want to have my worth beast. Be my the work of I want the work and the hours I put into something be reflected in the price tag, but I want that price tag to not be loop, just way over what the value is. I want to make sure that they're happy with it. I was I've been looking at the reviews. Like, has anyone left a negative review? Like, I really if if they're upset with it, I'll give them their money back. So that's that's where all this thought process gets started. You know, I like that, and I think when you first mentioned this to me. This um this called me back to an Ali Abdal video or maybe it was a podcast interview where he was um he was talking about how he kind of measures the success of a video and he said initially well obviously like we're thinking about views and we're thinking about outreach and um he says that there's this real um personal dissonance with his work when he said he he was saying that um he'll make like a a video that he just thinks is a banger. He's like, yeah, this is a top-notch video. I put so much creativity and editing. Like, I gave it everything I got. And kind of like you were experiencing or what you were telling me, Dimitri, you just, um, it wasn't it. Like, the the watch time and the, the, the views weren't adding up to what you thought it would be. And then on the flip side, he makes a video, Ali Abdal, he makes a video that he thinks isn't going to be top-notch, and yet it gets those clicks. And so, like, to solve this there's personal dissonance he says that you you can't worry about this kind of hedonic treadmill this ever-changing goal shifting of like oh like it has to be this number of views or that number of views you you have to look inward and say like what do i really do this for and it's because he enjoys making videos he enjoys the whole process of learning more reading all these books and telling us about it (laughs) as he does and um i thought i was like yeah that's a really nice answer like life is absurd we have to give it meaning because the meaning will not come <laughs> to us through some kind of numbers. And then when you start telling me about the consulting, I, I don't know if Ali Abdal does consulting or any kind of one-on-one stuff like that. 
But I was like, that that's an even better answer than just looking inward and kind of selfishly telling yourself, oh, I like this video. I'm going to post it. Like, no, it's like you're speaking to people one-on-one and finding out that they are actually loving what you're making, whether it be the templates or the videos. And I think that, although you want to make the meaning for yourself, it's it's a good affirmation to say like, yeah, that's genuine feedback. That's someone I'm actually impacting in their lives. So I'm glad you're doing the consulting and uh, I'm glad you're able to kind of find the why, kind of the what is good content from the people who are actually listening. That's really cool. And I think from your perspective and, uh, and my perspective too, a reason that I think the podcast has been doing so well recently with our new productive brew concept is because every single episode I have made about the productive brew, and I'm sure this is your case, is is a reflection of how I'm feeling and about how I'm like growing as well as how I can take that growth and express it to others in a bite-sized format that can give them something to think on for the day. That's what I'm focusing on every time I'm making a productive brew. And it's really fulfilling because it's like, it, it it's different than the, the YouTube channel, right? The YouTube channel is my baby. It's been something that like, it's the backbone of the whole thing. So I get a little bit more upset when something doesn't do well on the YouTube channel than the podcast, no offense, but that's fine. And, but when I've been making these, it's, it's clear from you and me that people like it because we're just being really value driven. I feel like in the episodes we make, I don't know what your thoughts are on that. I would agree. I think, I mean, when I'm doing these productive brews, I, again, similarly just look inward. I just think like, what have I been thinking about? What would I like to tell people that I'm thinking about something that was a a personal epiphany or a moment of growth for me? Just say like, look, this is something that happened to me. This is something that could impact you. So uh, I just hope you enjoy it. And I just put it out there and it's super rewarding to just, yeah, make content, not for the, you know, more views or like you said, I'm hardly looking at the analytics of this, uh, this podcast. Like really, I think the only time we do is like occasionally before we hit click uh, record and start this podcast, like we just don't really think about that. And we're not on some kind of hedonic treadmill like we're talking about here where the numbers go up and we just continue to like anchor and adjust our expectations and new hopes of what is good. I think we just kind of sat into this place of it's very stoic. Like we're just like, yeah, like we're just putting out the content and if it hits, it hits. If it doesn't, it doesn't. And when it does hit, we get excited and we're not like, readjusting things saying like oh we have this number of views now we have to get that number of views it's not uh we're doing it like i i keep saying this but we're doing it for the art's sake we're not doing it to meet some kind of ends i don't think we've ever had a discussion and you can stop me on this if i'm wrong i don't think we've ever had a discussion regarding a podcast topic outside of us anecdotally saying dude this is going to be a banger like by the end of us talking about it we originally say and have an entire conversation about what's a cool concept we could talk about like what would we enjoy talking about i don't think we've ever approached it first from let's read this because this will do well exactly we're just doing things that we're just talking about things that we like talking about. And I think it's similar with the productive brew. I'm obviously not sitting here and like gossiping about my personal life, but as long as it's like semi-appropriate, it's like, okay, this is just something that I would enjoy getting in front of the microphone for five minutes or an hour, depending on which podcast we're doing and just talk it out. It's just something that I would genuinely enjoy doing. And again, avoiding the hedonic treadmill because we are doing something that we enjoy and find intention and, love doing and i think um for anyone who doesn't know like i think we should just quickly define the hedonic treadmill here and it's just the hedonic treadmill can be defined as the observed tendency of humans to quickly return to a relatively stable level of happiness despite major positive or negative events or life changes so essentially not again it's kind of like this like a react and adjust like you have this major life event happened and we quickly just become so uh, adapted to that new lifestyle. It's almost like when you go from like a, like a studio apartment to like a, a big like mansion or whatever, because you hit the lottery or let's say, and then 
as soon as you're in this big, you know, nice mansion, you just think, why isn't it bigger? It's just immediately adjusting and hoping for more rather than just being content with what brought you to that circumstance. I would uh, liken it to the concept of lifestyle inflation, but the emotional aspect of lifestyle inflation. So a reference that I could give really quickly, but it's going to be the, one of the most realest things I'll probably say on the podcast. <laughs> the moment that I was called from the guy who was recruiting me to run at Loyola, telling me I was going to get a scholarship is in the top three happiest moments of my life because I worked so hard to get to that point of earning it, being like, I was a division one athlete that got a scholarship. I felt so happy with it. 100% fact. When I moved in my freshman year and found out how much my roommate was getting, when we ran similar times in high school, I wasn't happy with my scholarship. You were on the hedonic treadmill, which is super interesting because I was actually going to counter how running is actually a lifestyle that cultivates you to not become susceptible to the hedonic treadmill. Because mm. I think in a lot of ways, running or really any kind of any kind of endurance sport, at least, I don't know if I can speak for like basketball or anything, but there's no short-term gains when it comes to training. There's no like mm. immediate feedback, pat on the back, like you're doing good work day in and day out. It's like if you think of like the grueling months that you're just training in the summer or over the winter when there's no competition and you're just putting in base miles, really just doing boring stuff, it disciplines you and forces you to really find intention in what you're doing rather than thinking about some kind of finish line or reward down the line. Of course, you have to dreamline and hope for good things to come, but you really have to come from a good place of intention if you're going to put in that work day in and day out. So it's interesting that you have that uh, experience with the scholarship. Now, I, I will be I will be 100% transparent in saying that there was the relationship that I had with my roommate is the main reason that that was upsetting and the, the work yeah, that ethic was, that, that was I toxic. had. That was toxic. And the work ethic that I had going into getting that and then hearing from another perspective the work that it took for somebody else to do it, that was a, there was a lot of, uh, I felt like I was trying to earn it harder, sort of, you know, that sort of vibe. And it was, it was definitely mm -hmm. different than just if I knew somebody who was equal regarding work ethic and whatnot, uh, from my perspective at least, definitely don't want to cast any aspersions on anyone's work ethic. Uh, the person that I was comparing myself to from my perspective, if, if, if they had that same level and they had just done that and ran the times a little bit earlier, I would have been like, yeah, okay, mm -hmm. cool, whatever. Like, it, yeah, you, you worked your butt off. That's how that goes. And there were other people that had that situation to happen and I didn't care. But for me, I was like, I, uh, that's upsetting. And I remember a big reason I never, I didn't ask till later in college for an up, up in my scholarship is because I tried to anchor myself of like, uh, do you really need to ask for more? You, that was like the hap, one of the, honestly, top three, top five happiest moments of my life. And I, me succumbing to my own mental, like that's like asking for more made me feel like I was letting go of that moment, which in all actuality is stupid because, you know, you should always try to, to you know, be what your value is. And I did get better at running as I was in college. Right. So yeah. Yeah. I, I don't, I don't know the details of your scholarship, but I imagine you had merited more by the, by the time you were near the end there, you were, uh, yeah. Top of the conference quite a few times. But, um, when we're thinking about dreamlining and we kind of talk about like intentionalism, I even brought up Tim Ferriss at the beginning of this podcast. I'm just, I'm kind of curious, um, what your opinion is about, how can we dreamline and set goals? Because of course you need some kind of goals if you're going to embark on any kind of side hustle or project that you want to get good at, even when it comes to exercising or well-being. How do you make some kind of goal without falling into that hedonic treadmill of, all right, well, like I want to, I want to hit this goal, but like every time I, I get closer and closer, I'm not, I'm not satisfied anymore. You know, I know that we're on the same waves like when we record these and our flow is getting better when neither of us thought about talking about this beforehand, but we both came to this thought of this thought about probably like <laughs> five minutes ago. That, that was pretty cool. Um, I knew you're going to ask me that or I was going to ask you that because it definitely does come to my mind in this type of conversation. Like how can we dreamline? 
how can we get the goals without the hedonic treadmill side of things? And I think it goes back to what um, the monks talk about and what Jay Shetty is talking about in his book, Things Like a Monk. When it's here's an example Is your goal to get jacked because you want to make your ex jealous? Or is your goal to get in shape because you want to be a he- want to be healthier? <laughs> yeah, that's the a good question. The intention. That's, that's a good point. Yeah, it's all about intention. It's about peeling back the layer one more time. Why are you doing? I, it? I do. Right. I do think it is about setting good goals from the start that aren't going to rely on vanity metrics. I think that's a good point. Um, yeah. Actually, there's a. I don't know if this is actually like a, I think this is a loose Ignatian practice, but on retreat, um, when we're trying to get to the Ignatian idea of the deepest desire with um, retreat participants, there's a, a question that one somebody usually poses and says like, you have a million dollars. You can't invest it into stocks. You can't save it. You have to spend it. Where would you spend that money? And every time someone answers that question, you always try to ask, well, why, why do you say that? Try to keep digging deeper and deeper until you get to some kind of fundamental priority and goal associated with that priority. Like I remember when I was a, a wee little freshman, I think my answer was uh, like run across the country because I see a lot of people do that. And I'm like, that'd be a really cool thing to do. Say they like, you're somebody on that list of like 500 people that can run across the country and just be a freak like that for six months. Hmm. And when I get asked why do you want to do that well I, I could easily say glory i could say that yeah it would be really cool to be on that list but yeah. if, if you dig a one level deeper it's really i mean health and personal fitness and just challenging myself so it's being able to set goals with a um, a real clear understanding of where your priorities lie and don't associate them with uh any kind of outside metrics. It's kind of like Jay Shetty said in um, one of the early parts of the book where I think it was even in chapter one where he was saying that um, it's very interesting when you're able to remove all outside influence and listen to the real voice of your identity. I was like, mm. wow, that that's interesting. And and we, I think you guys are going to enjoy the review of that book. It's, it's really insightful. He's a really, seems just like a really good dude. And, and that was something that resonated with me too. And I, I thought about this as well earlier uh, with uh, my, with my thoughts on, on just what's been going on in my own life and, and that template that I'm making, like, I want to make the first template that somehow in, in really just like encompasses a plug and play concept of you can get the amount of, you can like take whatever your discretionary hours are in a week and figure out what value add are you getting from certain categories of your life. So what should you prioritize? And then it spits out like what order of things you need to do. And it has all these different cool ca- concepts to it. But it, it just it just brings me back to that that part of that book where it's like you really people if they really prioritize what matters to them the most in life, and they didn't let these metrics or things like um, money and and whatnot get in the way of what their values are and what their their inner why is that we just have a more fulfilled society. Oh, of course. Yeah. If we did things for actually doing the thing rather than the money, I don't think our, maybe our society wouldn't be as successful in uh, capitalistic metrics, but uh, maybe people would be happier. You, yeah. you really couldn't know. You know, I actually might, uh, it's hard because I, I, I kind of get what you're saying, but also, we know what the number one indicator of productivity is. Even honestly, Ali Abdul. I was just this about to too. say that. It's if you're happy, yep. you're gonna be the most productive. Like if everyone was really happy in what they were doing, we'd have a lot of really good people at their jobs, and maybe monetarily some individuals would make as much. But I think our progress regarding in uh, advancement of tech, we'd be farther along. And, you know, I immediately thought what you were saying after I said that's that, awesome. I was like, I was immediately thinking like, oh, I don't remember what podcast episode that was. And we talked about the big five personality traits and we mm-hmm. talked about um, like mental health being one of the biggest indicators of um, productivity. I was just like, yeah, like, I guess the better framing is our society and our, our market would look different, but it would be for the better. 
we'd definitely be happier people and we'd probably be further along, like you said. Do you want to talk about um, kind of the hedonic treadmill and how people kind of fall into this when they get into their career? Or do you feel like you just kind of touched that? No, I think that, I think that's, uh, I'll get really a little, a level deeper in, in what I was thinking earlier. Like I brought this up in the, the Tuesday episode of the Productive Bird this week, but mm-hmm. are you becoming a doctor because in the American healthcare system, if you become a doctor, you're easy six figures once, by the time you're out of debt, like you're, you're good. Or are you becoming a dentist for that reason? Or are you doing it because you have a passion for seeing somebody's teeth look a certain way? Are you, are you being a dermatologist for the monetary reason? Are you really happy to see someone overcome their, their anxiety about their acne? And I think we'd see some better care in those sectors if we had people. I love my dentist because he loves taking care of my teeth. Like I, my dentist, both of them were great. Like it was a father-son situation. They're awesome. I think that's because they had that value-driven side to why they became dentists. I think with anyone who has to pursue that much amount of education and the debt that comes along with it, especially in the medical field, I almost have to think you're value-driven. That or glory, because it, it yeah. can't be money-driven. It can't be money-driven. The The ROI on that just takes forever <laughs> to get what you want. <laughs> Too much delayed gratification. If you even get what you want. Yeah, it's, it's a huge delayed gratification. That's, that's worse than any three months of uh, training without any gratification. Yeah, I think definitely we might see it slip through the cracks more in the U.S. Uh, I definitely got to say, you know, for example, we talk about Ali Abdul a lot, but the guy was a doctor. And they have to go through the same level of schooling there without the financial gain at the end in the U.K. Yeah. Props to, and you know what? Here's something that I want to point out to people who, eh, I don't want to get political. I'll just point this out. The (laughs) NHS, the National Healthcare Service, is revered by British people. If you talk to anybody from the UK, okay, not anybody. If you talk to the majority of people from the UK, sorry, I got it. Get a hedge. Do that. Get a hedge. If you talk to the majority of people from the UK, I've talked to every. I have had three or four people on this podcast from the UK. All of them have said they love the NHS. I have managed to ask each of them, outside of the podcast or in the podcast, they all love the NHS. You know why? Because all those people at the end of the road don't get paid a bunch. They only are doing it because they really, really want to. Or unfortunately, their parents said you had to either be a doctor or or whatever. Like that does happen in some households. <laughs> but outside of that, you know. That's a good point. I could see. I mean, that, that does make sense to me. When we're putting people in the jobs that they want to be in, they're going to have better actions, better interactions and better experiences in the healthcare industry. If that is the case. Um and it's actually interesting. It's not only people having a better experience from the outside, experiencing other people having these jobs that people find more fulfillment when you don't worry about the hedonic treadmill. But um, I was watching a uh, Captain Sinbad video and he was uh, referencing this study. It's called uh, It Pays to Be Generous and it's from the Ascent staff. I don't know who Ascent is, but um, uh. it's basically this study where it tested a group of participants Initially, there was a, a first survey that was judging your level of generosity. And once they narrowed these people down into high generosity or low generosity, they then looked for other kind of quantity or other qualities in their life, like um, the percentage of feeling happy daily, 77% versus 62%, 77% being for people who are high in generosity or scored high, according to this survey. Life satisfaction, 74% versus 60. Believing that life is meaningful, 81% versus 60%. And apparently on average, generous people reported having slightly more close friends with 3.2 compared to 2.6 for the less generous people. You're keeping people in your life. You're not worried about that promotion or more views, but you're, you're doing the thing for itself and you're able to disassociate or not even disassociate, but maybe like compartmentalize your your career and the glory that comes with that apart from your family life and being able to fill other buckets without putting all your energy into this hedonic treadmill that really gets you nowhere. 100%. And I, I think uh, calling back to some other stuff from earlier, like the, the in the book, Think Like a Monk, 
they talk about how if you become happy for others, if you learn to become happy for others, you're opening yourself up to the most amazing wealth of happiness possible. Because if you're only going to be happy in your own little life, I mean, you're limited to the ups and downs of your days, the for, the fortitude of your mind. And to be frank, not everyone's going to be like, it is the power of the mind to be unconquerable and whatever. <laughs> and also people who say that like me still feel bad a fair amount of days about certain things. So if you open yourself up to being happy for other people, like when you did well over the fall, I was like, yeah, I'm happy for my friend. You got to like do that and have that sort of nice, I don't, I don't even know what to say about it. It's just like be be happy for other people and you're going to find that generosity of, of happiness for others will come back to you because it's a, it's a beautiful thing when you're actually happy for somebody else. I don't know if people struggle with this. Maybe, maybe I'm, I was somebody who was just self-centered for a long time, but I think it's actually, you do have to put in some effort to be genuinely happy for another person when things go their way. Yeah, you know, that is actually, this is quite cynical of me to say, but um, feeling happy for other people is a a thing that I personally can struggle with a little bit. And that that's definitely from a, a place of glory and competition. I want to do better than other people. And when other people do well, yeah, you, you, there's this, I have this rigid mentality that I'm trying to break where it's like they're taking a, a slice of my pie, like as if they're worth this like, finite pie of success and it has to be them or me but recently as i've been on this meditation journey i've been learning more and more about different practices and i'm really curious about um this loving compassion meditative practice where you're essentially there's a few different ways to do it but it's a more imaginative practice where you think about the people that you love and care about and you imagine things happening to them that make them happy so it forces you to really get into someone's brain and think like oh like what would be something that would make this person feel better like recovering from an illness or like achieving i don't know getting that promotion or whatever would make them happy and then you imagine them you, you imagine them becoming happy and then you yourself are supposed to be uplifted and moving away from my typical meditative practices which can be a little more me focused focusing more on my mm-hmm. body, my breath and thinking about other people has really helped me to start to be more intentional about being happy for others. Cause I think we, we imagine that's something that's so intuitive. It's just like, Oh yeah. Like I'll just be like happy for other people. Like something good happens. I'll just like naturally react that way, but we're not necessarily wired that way. At least I am not personally wired to always be happy for others. I think that's a cultural thing. I think that's a sport thing. I think that's, all of those in one. Uh, we come from a Western society where it is not about the whole, it is about the individual. It's a very Eastern idea to have. I've, there's a term for it. I'm doing a really bad job of explaining Collectivism? It. Sorry? Collectivism? I believe that you're is right. Is that what you're trying to get at? Yeah. I think we don't have the collectivist mindset in the West. And from my perspective, as well as a former college runner, we are in a sport where quite literally you are taking somebody else's slice of the pie the better you do. It is it is point blank, cut and dry. You beat me. I didn't get first. I'm mad. And it was really hard for me for a long for that college experience to switch to the mindset of how I did based off of my my capabilities rather than the field. I mean, there there were some serious mental hoops I had to jump through in college to be okay with where I was at by the end. Cause if you had met high school, Dimitri, his senior year versus, and saw like how, where he ended up at the end of college, he would have been livid and said some really nasty, nasty things to himself. <laughs> like it, it, it's hard. I know where you're coming from. And we all came mm-hmm. from another situation where you and myself, when we were in high school, we were, we were top notch in high school. So then you go to college and everyone's as good as you. And you're like, Oh boy. So that that's part yeah. of it. Yeah, I definitely agree. What's, what's really funny. And you talk about sports and the collective versus uh, individualistic attitudes, the individualistic attitudes being more in the West. 
Have you seen uh, this 14 Peaks documentary that's on Netflix now? No, what is that? It's this documentary about um, this guy from uh, Nepal. He's like a Nepalian uh, mountaineer. And there's 14 peaks that are over 8,000 meters high in the world. And I guess the previous record was like seven years to get all of them completed. And this guy was, he called it Project Possible, but he wanted to do it in seven months. 14 peaks. Wow. You got to think like some people would take some, a month to get up Mount Everest. And, um, along the way he stops in multiple occasions to save people because there'd be, he would get down from the, he would like peak at the top of the mountain. He would summit, he'd come back down and he'd be at like, uh, camp two or like camp four, like he's halfway down. And he gets radioed that uh, someone's up at the top and they're low on oxygen and they're passed out and they're like about to die. And he's like, well, I'm not going to leave this person behind. Like, screw this record. I'm going to go and save every person and try to inspire every person I can along this journey because that's what it's about. It's not about this glory. It's about awesome. the collective attitude. And it's just so funny because there was like this uh, this European mountainer who is uh, interviewed during this uh this part of the documentary and he's like i don't know why they went up there and did that and i was like collectivism (laughs) it's not just about the glory did he do it in seven months i don't want to spoil it for people oh you uh, that's fair well you'll tell me later i'm not gonna do it but uh that's amazing i mean collectivism is just really not a western idea i mean it's just not and that's it's kind of where we're at with that and it's unfortunate, but the lack of generosity just really kind of, I think it, it comes in, in uh, social circles too. I think, I think this is, this is, this is really sad, but I mean, especially from a, any society, I feel like there, there is some serious level of uh view that being in the, the in group or the popular group, you're taking different slices of the pie from from the hole and I'm just like what is what is this stupid like pie that we're all vying over in social circles like what the heck is that mm-hmm. I think one of the um, saddest things when it comes to the hedonic treadmill within friend groups and looking to friends as means to an ends is uh, we've talked about this on the podcast but the three types of friends mm-hmm. according to Aristotle the three types of love and three types of friends that he kind of uh I don't know, manipulates from that or I don't know what the word is for it, but essentially he's saying that you have friends of utility, friends that you really just see as like a, like a means to an end, like they got the big pool or the big house or the nice car. You have friends mm-hmm. of basically convenience, work friends, people you just like have to be around. And then you have what he says, you can have on average up to like three genuine friends in your life, or maybe it's even two, which fits really nicely with that, uh, that study from Ascent because it's in like 3.2 to 2.6 people that they find like meaningful in their life. And uh, yeah, it's sad that we've gotten to this place where most people are hitting usually under three on average. We're not even able to have enough genuine people in our lives because in all aspects of our life, the sedonic treadmill has kind of infected our psyche to look for people as just like some kind of advantage or some kind of way to gain status. Yeah, man. I mean, you see it at most in uh, high school and below, right? I mean, actually high school mm-hmm. is the peak. I'm not saying below is in like the younger you get, the more it is. I, mean, I think in high school is the peak of that. Obviously uh, there are some really big issues in, in that regard. And there are still issues like that in the real world and adulthood. I mean, people, people will do things from a, a utility standpoint, but with a, a little bit of a, I don't even know what the word is for it. Like ill intent side of things like the utility plus ill intent. I mean, I, you see it all the time. Well, absolutely. Yeah. And I, I'm curious what you think from a, uh, a social standpoint. Cause I think we've kind of been able to hash out how you're able to fix of or not fix but avoid the hedonic treadmill in terms of streamlining side hustle career but how do we get away from the hedonic treadmill when it comes to something like finding friends or a lifelong partner man uh 
<laughs> this is a this is a deep one. Uh, it's hard because obviously one. I'm still learning. I'm 23, almost 24. I don't know everything, but from my perspective, at least with I've what I've experienced, and I'm drawing wisdom from adults in my life. You can't make anybody happy. So, about finding people who value you for you and not because in the short term you're making them happy and while they you may they may be tricked into the short term thinking that you are a friend or love by by uh you said you sorry the three are util i'm trying to think of the word for like the real one genuine yeah there's genuine utility and uh proxy or proximity sorry. no just like genuine it's yeah. like a authentic friend yeah I forget so there's the, authentic the, the greek word yeah of course so there's authentic proximity utility and i'm saying if you meet somebody who is i don't want to be mean about this but if you meet somebody <laughs> who is in a state of mind where you end up just in the short term making them happy and they may accidentally view you as a genuine friend in their own mind and that makes you view them as an, in a genuine friend in, in in your mind as well you're stuck in the in the feeling of the genuine side of things where they well they have that initially when that fades out and they sort out their own stuff you're just a friend or love of utility the whole time mm. and then you run to the problems where the roadblocks happen and since the utility is worn off, you are no longer a genuine friend to them because they don't need you to make them happy anymore or it's not working anymore. Yeah. I think I agree with that. I think for um, the most part, this ties in a few things for me. And this can work with outside of uh, social context, but really with any kind of avoiding of the hedonic treadmill is you you have to presuppose the good in others. That's a Ignatian thing, but um, just like assuming the best out of people, hoping the best, and just kind of practicing the Stoic values of just putting your best foot forward, aiming the arrow as best as you can, and if the wind blows it or someone knocks their hand in the way and hits it down, that's outside of your control, and you yeah. can't focus on that. But you can focus on presupposing the good and creating a feedback loop of good. I can't remember the philosopher who I was uh reading about last semester but um they were saying that there's a there's a feedback loop when it comes to guilt and how making people feel guilty isn't productive because that guilt immediately gets 180 back on the people who are trying to make that person feel guilty and so you have to in the inverse manner create a environment of good and um doing things for the the thing in itself and I it's think similar to, and it's similar to what Jay talks about. Yeah, exactly. I am excited to review that book. It's It's been a good book. It helps that I've been getting really into meditating as well. I think what I just said in the longest way possible earlier, by the way, is that mm. you can't love yourself or you can't love another until you learn to love yourself. And I think it's it's something that people often forget, even in friendships. If If somebody is really not in a place where they can love themselves as a person, it makes it very difficult for you to be friends with them. And therefore, in those situations, you you gotta be, you know, I, I agree with you that you need to you know, always think the best of people and whatnot and do things for the right reason. But navigating friendship is really hard in that sense. Because if you if you figure out at some point that you, you've re- really tried to be a genuine friend and then somebody's like viewing you as a utility friend, I mean, you may have to make some hard decisions. Like you may have to, uh, you may have to cut people out, and that's hard. No, that's true. That's yeah, true. But you can't control how those people are going to feel. All you control is how you react. Yeah. All you can do is uh, let me. See, I'm I'm calling back to the the Daily Stoic from today because it fits very well. But uh-huh. uh, each person you meet is an opportunity for kindness. That's uh, that's Seneca. Uh, that's oh, a nice yeah. quote. All you can do is enter a um, a new circumstance or even a, a a circumstance with a friend that you've already established. All you can do is move into that moment 
with good intention and um, hope that you can create a feedback loop and environment of good. And I think that moves outside of friends. It's really with any aspect of life. Yeah, I think that's really true. It's hard because there are so many different people in the world that that experience this on a daily basis. They experience friends that they've been friends with for a long time. Maybe they were friends of proximity. Maybe they were friends of utility and they, they thought more of it. And that's okay. We all grow. We all change. It's no knock on anybody. It's no knock on it at all. We just all have different life experiences and we have different preferences that change. And like for me, I was a meme lord in high school. <laughs> I'm not a meme lord anymore. It's bad. And it's, it's hard, you know, like, cause when you realize in those situations, when your preferences as a person change, then it also kind of aligns. Well, was this person a, a friend of, of convenience? Like we just had a same interest or did we really, I mean, did we really like mesh mesh, you know, and that kind of defines, defines it. Cause when you're, when your interests change, but you still remain really close. I mean, this happens a lot with the divorce, you know? I mean, people change Mm -hmm. when they get married. And were you really married to the person because there was a genuine something there? Or was it more of one of the other two categories? I think there's something to be said about that. I even think this can account for other aspects of life. I mean, one with social, like if you think about social media, you have to be doing the thing because you love the content you're putting out there. I mean, this is really with any kind of content creation. You have to love the thing that you're doing. And this ties back to what we were talking about earlier, but you can't do the thing hoping that you'll get those views. You have to do it for the thing in itself. And then whatever comes with that is going to be what it's going to be. Yeah, I, I totally agree. I think a big thing that's been helping me recently, just I'm, and nothing has helped me get off the YouTube studio app easier than talking one-on-one with people who've watched my content. Oh, I believe it. Genuine feedback. Because you're like, I don't give it. I'm like, I don't care. Like, oh, my 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 weekly sub growth has tanked since I've done less commenting on other channels. Not because that guy told me I was being dumb. Just if you're, if, if for any reason he or anyone else is listening, I don't care what you think about my <laughs> commenting. Uh, but I've just been like, you know, let's try to focus on doing what I can with making the right content and and making like this template is all all consuming. I want to make the absolute best system to have someone live an intentional life that's possible with a notion and like a productivity framework that could live anywhere. So if you think about that from a social media perspective, it's like, that's really getting me a way of doing any videos from now on that don't just bring value. I'm not going to make a video because I think it's going to be a banger. I'm going to make a video because I think it's, it hits the point that you and I have chatted about a lot and you watched, you enjoyed the video, how I work 12 hour days without burning out. Mm -hmm. I want to make the most compact value driven mildly satirical productivity videos like i i want to be to the point give you real info but make you laugh along the way because like lol i get up at four (laughs) (laughs) i haven't i have enjoyed the satire i was telling you about that but i do like that you've gotten to a place where it's like your productivity guy your notion guy you're really good at it but you're also able to step back. Like this is like the, the self-care coming in or like the, the mental clarity where you're just like, like able to look from a third person bird's eye view and just say like, look how ridiculous this is on occasion. Yeah, you got to do it. I mean, today I, you sle- have to. I slept awful last night and I woke up at like three and I was like, I should get up. And, and, and I'm like, wait a second. And I just looked at myself in the mirror in my room and went, you're you. I just went, you. And then went back to bed. <laughs> 3 a.m. Absolutely not. Got to rise productive, though. You got to do what you got to do. Okay, here, here's a question. Oh, man. This is going to be the most awkward five minutes. I don't know how long it's going to be. This is the most awkward question ever on the podcast. Where do you think we are on the three? Oh, I like this. I like this a lot. (laughs) Because I think we've morphed through all three of the the types of friends. All right. All right. Because at first, at first we only lived together. And like, 
we were teammates, which is also another form of uh, proximity, but we just became closer and closer in proximity. And that was the type of friendship we had until you extended the, the olive branch of being the, the, or not the, 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 the podcast co-host. And then we became some kind of friends of utility. There was like responsibility on both ends and mm-hmm. expectations. It was almost like we worked together mm-hmm. and we developed that. And I think that there is still utility here, but as I have said to multiple people before is that these categories not only are not rigid, you can jump from one to another, but you can also blend into two because yeah, yes, we're building this res productive together in, in some way. Now I'm getting my hands in, dirty here a little bit into mm-hmm. some of the stuff, but we, we don't live close to each other and there's really no expectation. Like there's the, there's really no like real economic motive to like be doing this together. We're just doing it because we're very good friends and we see something that could be built and could be really great in a financial way. But we're doing it because I think I hop on this podcast and I talk to you over Google meets and zooms and you drive down to my apartment and crash on my couch all the time because we're just good friends. When there's absolutely, when you, when you wipe away the proximity and the pure utility, I think it is as a genuine friend. Yeah. And I think there's a, I think there's definitely something I agree 100%. And definitely I noticed that, especially when we, when I started going there and I bring the stuff to record just in case but like you know new year's whatever <laughs> it is like i don't really care like my i remember like people have asked like oh are you gonna record and i'm like and i look at you I'm like yeah we're not gonna record are we no okay like yeah no not today like i don't really give a, i don't i don't really care like um i think when actually the transition probably fully happened in my head was when you had to go you were we were gonna record and then you were like man, this LSAT's like in my head. Let's not record today. And I'm like, all right. <laughs> and we just hung out. God. I did like that. I did like that day. As much as I hated that day, I liked that day. Because, yeah, it, that, was a, that was a kind of ripping off the Band-Aid moment. That, that, that really was, thinking back. Because I really had to say, like, this isn't about, like, we're not hanging out just for, like, the, the podcast. Yeah. We're actually, like, just going to hang out to hang out. Because... Man, that, that was such a stressful summer. If I have to do that again, I'm going to be really upset. But uh, <laughs> we're talking about that. I'm glad that our friendship moved off the hedonic treadmill. We quit expecting more material from each other. And uh, we just came genuine friends. Um, you got any final thoughts here as we wrap up this uh, this conversation about the hedonic treadmill? Anything you're thinking about in terms of the side hustle, your career? That that was Social. that was probably the deepest conversation we've ever had. It was funny. Uh, my partner um, sent me a a TikTok that was like, um, it, it was like, white men, you don't need a podcast, you need therapy. <laughs> I was oh like, yeah, God. but that only is... one of those is free. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God! You know. You know what's so sad, dude? Real quick. Anytime people have asked me in this last year, uh, like what has been like the most impactful on you seeming to be just a little bit more in a good mood and like you do stuff for I'm just like, yeah, listen to the Daily Stoic. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. That's one of those moments where you have to just go third person. It's like, look how stupid this is. <laughs> and that's what I'd say. And- it's so awkward to say that to people because I'm like, dude, literally you're at, you're telling people to go listen to some, some dude who's not to be rude, but Ryan Polliday this year has just been like so overtly political and like all this stuff. And it's like, I'm just suggesting them to get into like the most, the most stringent philosophy mixed in with like this, uh, it's like, it's a social, it's like, it's, it's a political thing. If you tell someone to watch, listen to the daily stoke now, cause the guy won't shut up about it. No offense, Ryan, but <laughs> That's true. That's true. But yeah, even outside the politics, this is like, yeah, like it, whenever I bring up the Daily Stoke to someone, I immediately like put those words back in my mouth. And I'm you're like, like, oh, oh like, 
<laughs> I'm not listening to a self-help podcast and actually like it and grow from it. <laughs> it's not me. I swear. I swear. It's a meme. It's I a swear. meme. It's not me. Oh my God. Um, but yeah, that's, that's my final thought. I, I definitely think we've, we've made the full transition. This is some of the deepest, this is probably the deepest talk we've had on the podcast. I think we've had at least one deeper off of it. So I think we're, we're doing okay. I think we're at least we've had, we've had ones outside of it that are deeper. Thank God. <laughs> yes, we have. And, uh, now that we are so far off the rails, thank you for listening to episode 81 of the Rats Productive Podcast. And we will see you guys in the next one. In the next one. Bye. Bye.